Welcome to the Fourth Watch. As the world is falling apart, the church should be coming together, but we have to wake up first. Biblical prophecy is unfolding and we keep looking for a new normal. The enemy is parading in broad daylight, we keep changing the channel. The media keeps saying look left when the real activity is happening to the right. 2020 caught everyone off guard, which leads to one very important viewpoint. Every demonic influence running rampant in America right now had to go to the church to get here. It's time we changed our focus and our footing. No more excuses, no more racial divide, no more ignorance, and no more country club church. The enemy feels like he's on a winning streak, but we're here to remind him and you of our biblical and American heritage. We serve the Lord of Angel Armies, and we thrive when our backs are against the wall. The goal of the Fourth Watch is clear, to equip you with a biblical foundation as it relates to spiritual warfare. You don't need to be a pastor or a teacher to recognize what's happening, and the Bible is filled with references to the last days. History isn't repeating, it's setting the stage. One of our generations has to be the last, and no one is coming to save us but God. So how do we see things as He intended? How do we see the enemy at work in our daily lives? How do we respond to demonic attacks against ourselves and our family? How do we identify the deceivers masquerading as politicians, celebrities, influencers, and even pastors? And more importantly, how do we bring revival when most Christians are focused on culture over kingdom? The fourth watch is from 3 to 6 a.m. daily, the darkest hours before the dawn. It's when Abraham raised his dagger, when Jacob wrestled with God, when Peter stepped onto the water, and when Jesus arose the third day. Now, the fourth watch is our effort to show you how spiritual warfare isn't just real, it's raging. And whether you choose to see it or not, every single one of us has a role to play. Journey with us as we search the word, discuss current events, put our faith into action, and use ourselves as an example along the way. Welcome to Spiritual Warfare for the Masses. Welcome to the Fourth Watch. All right, so we promoted this event a little bit in social media with the graphic of the speakers. The next guy I'm going to introduce is not in that graphic. There's a long story to it. I don't think it's even relevant. But this brother's in my life now and in my circles in ways that are pretty unexplainable and supernatural. And he literally saved my life this week. He has some ministries, Fourth Watch, Fifth Horseman. I want to bring up my brother, Steve Prouse. Where are you? Right there. Steve Prouse. Hi, good morning. I'm, uh, I'm going to try and make this as fast as I can. Um, I've uh, avoided the radar pretty much my entire life. But personally, I don't even feel like I'm good enough to stand up on that stage right now. I was born kind of into the church. Father was a Pentecostal pastor. Uh, he ended up becoming the music minister for TBN, for Paul and Jan Crouch, for about seven years. So five nights a week, I'm at the TV studio with him, surrounded by a bunch of what were, in the beginning, you know, the first megachurch pastors in the nation. And to be honest, I, I had no appetite for corporate church. None. Uh, I'm, for the backstory, my mom became a police officer, actually corrections officer, so she ran jails. And I was, I was kind of a hard kid to love, a hard kid to lead. And um, aside from getting the boot, I was always about twice the size of my age. I'm seven years old, I'm the size, you know, I'm the size of a 14-year-old. It followed me all the way to now. But my past gets tricky. Parents divorced when I'm four. I see my first dead body breathe his last breath when I'm six outside of our duplex. 
see the first demonized woman inside my father's Tuesday night Bible study at YWCA when I'm seven. Uh, I started studying books in the occult when I'm 10. I was with my mom at her work, and uh, she's teaching at the academy. And so I find everything, right? Just a curious little kid. I started reading the dictionary because my mom was so overprotective. She wouldn't let me leave the house. So I learned a bunch of $3 words and you know, found use for them over time. But the reality is, I had no appetite for the church, find the books in the occult. I get pissed off at God saying, you never told me this was real. My own father never taught me about spiritual warfare. My mother was too in a depressed funk to understand what was happening or to get herself out. And if you knew my little five foot three Mexican mom, you know her, her mission is love. She is the loving hands and feet, which is why I always joke around in the circles that I'm with. The sword of the Lord comes from the loving hands and feet of Christ. This morning, you're gonna hear from a lot of great men, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of preachers, Remy, that was powerful. From what little bit I know about the trafficking overseas, you know, you have parents that are actively putting their children into trafficking. You have young men who are putting themselves into tra- being trafficked to other men in Thailand. And Americans are the biggest consumers. So this morning, as it relates to that, I need to weaponize your faith. I need to teach each one of you that you are more than capable of spiritual violence on a scale that you have not yet engaged in. So much of the church has been teaching you how to pray for things and not sufficiently against things. In my opinion, spending years in executive protection, going back to the Playboy Mansion, going all the way forward to guarding mega churches and other houses of worship, the church has been compromised. The church has taught more messages on God is love, which is only about four to five times in the Bible, versus God is Lord, which is about 400 times in the Bible. Even in these hallways, which praise God for church, every man is here and is operating because their footing has been in church. But the reality is the message has been offset. Everyone's, it's not a matter of whether or not it's a good message or biblical message. Is it the right message for the season? The entire world knows we're about to go to war. This church knows we were born behind enemy lines, exactly as Remy said. So what are you doing? How are you praying? What's the measure of violence that you're even capable of? And you're like, well, how's that even a thing? Matthew 6, 33. Pretty sure that's it. That one always gets me. But seek first the kingdom of God. Right? That's kind of like a pretty generic one. Okay, how about Matthew eleven twelve? And since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What if I told you that the very first thing you're supposed to do with your morning is to seek first the kingdom and take it by force? When's the last time you actually took prayer by force? When's the last time you took territory first within yourself and then outside? The church doesn't even speak to the spiritual condition of the world because the church is too busy becoming a business and maintaining business. Business has been good. Praise God for that. We're all here at the benefit of business being good. But the season has changed. If our footing can't change and engage warfare as intended, we've missed it. Every single person in this room that's under the age of 50, you survived the greatest biblical slaughter of all time. The first time the enemy came for children at the time of Moses. They think about 2,000 babies. Next time he comes for Jesus, was he afraid of the potential of someone being born? Maybe somewhere between 14 to 200, depending upon whatever scholar you talk to. 
In this nation alone, 70 million babies aborted. You won the genocide lottery. What are you going to do with it? Because what Satan tried to kill off wasn't just one man. He tried to kill off an entire freaking army. So I'm looking at this room, men of every age, every size. You don't have to be a firearms instructor. You don't have to be a tactics instructor. You don't have to be skilled or proficient in some sort of physical trade that allows you to take another man's life. You can be in the comfort of your bed because your legs don't work anymore. The whole point is engagement. We have to be engaged differently, and it's up to you. It's up to all of us. So it's time to weaponize our faith, and I'm called today to unlock your ability to commit spiritual violence. The scriptures are there. It's whether or not you actually have the heart for it. If you don't have the heart to commit spiritual violence now against an unsuspecting enemy who's gone unchecked for too long, what is it going to take? How many of our kids do they need to take? This state alone, where, where the state's saying that a child can get reproductive sex change, drugs, and surgery without your consent or permission. How many kids need to go through that before you actually wake up and engage differently? You know, I, I'll be honest. You're fearfully and, weighed, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. It's cliche. Everyone gets it. The church is filled with good men. But am I looking at good men or dangerous men? What does the church need right now? Good men to become dangerous men. So if, if what you want is to engage, if spiritual violence is available to you, if the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force, what are you going to do when you wake up in the morning? You're going to pray four things, constant life filled morning by morning praying for things. You're going to finally wake up and start praying against things. And the reason why this is relevant, so the fourth watch, as I learned it, is from three to six o'clock in the morning. It's actually based off the Roman watches that oversaw Israel. 12 to 3 a.m. is the heaviest time of demonic activity as it relates to witchcraft. The witchcraft starts first from 12 to 3. The demonic activity is poured out from 3 to 6. So many people I've ran into lately have said I've been waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning like clockwork every single day. What do they do? They turn over. That's it. They go to the bathroom and back in. For the last 15 years, I've been walking and praying from 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning, starting around my neighborhood. Revival had to start with me. Then I started taking it around my city, my community, my church. Then I started taking it to D.C., and Philly, and Jerusalem. And as I'm walking around the world, what has God showed me? No one's up praying. And praise God for women, the spiritual fiber of women over the last 50 years that actually got a lot of men, it gets a lot of households, giving, buying time for a lot of men to get back in. But what's also happened over the last 50 years is that the church is finally making a correction saying that we need to get God back in politics. We need godly men back in politics. We don't have another 50 years to say, oh, actually, we need to make men spiritual. So as the book of Revelation is being read out loud, Revelation 1.6 starts the party off. The word of God calls men kings and priests to God. Manhood and priesthood. Manhood and spirituality. So the first order and the standing order that we have to actually engage in spiritual violence is to start your day differently. Your footing has to change. 
You're not a man having a spiritual awareness. You're a spirit having a human experience. You are a spirit. You live in your body. You command your soul. That's what you say to yourself every single day. Not what am I thinking? What am I feeling? It's I'm a spirit. What's the engagement? Who's in front of me this morning? What's attacking my kids? What's attacking my marriage? What's attacking my business? What's attacking my ministry? Your footing has to change before your words change. Once your footing changes and your eyesight starts looking at the enemy for what he's doing, your footing changes to what's the word of God say? If you start reading 2 Kings, first through the 10th chapter, Elijah, Elisha, and Jehu. Elisha killed 42 kids by two bears running out just because they made fun of his bald head. We're not those men, right? That's not what it's about. It's not about being injured and then praying something, but what the Bible says, and Jesus said, I came to complete the law, the Old Testament. In my ministry right now, I'm teaching men how to actively use their spiritual fiber and footing to curse, to curse to death. Everyone's looking around saying, we're looking for a man, a proxy to take position on a stage or inside an office to start to effectuate change. And I, I call BS, what about you? What about the spirit within you that's upset with all the things going on? You think you don't have a dog in this fight? You think your own personal story doesn't have a dog in this fight? Wake up and pray. You think your family's not under attack? Wake up and pray. You think your marriage, your business, all these things are under attack? Wake up and pray. The school system's under attack. Wake up and pray. All throughout the day. If it means nothing to you, all you're going to do is be a nice, good Christian man and check the box every week. We're done with good Christian men. Be a dangerous man for God. This is how far I've gotten without being a good Christian man. I have a Bible study I just started called Jesus and Beers. I know there's a bunch of people in recovery here. Praise God, you've on, you're on the path that you're on and you've made the distance that you are. Christ is your identity. I'm speaking to your potential because even everyone with an addiction and alcohol at all, you should start a Jesus and Beers. Why? Because it doesn't have any power over you. And if this is the time for men to gather, the men I'm connecting with outside of the quote-unquote church, the hardened guys, the guys that have been through hell and back, warm back, the guys that wouldn't step foot inside a powerless, feckless church, what are they doing? I'm in. I've got six pastors right now across the country that want to hold Jesus in beers because after conversing, they realized... If I hold Jesus and beers inside the church, every single man in a 30-mile radius would show up just to have a beer inside a church and have a joke about it. <laughs> Listen, the season's changed. Conventional warfare is over. Unconventional warfare has to begin. That starts with you. That starts with the house of God. This can't be a place that just you come for, you know, a good pastoral message one day a week. You're the pastor six days a week, or you're not. Make up your mind. Either you're going to rise each morning and lead yourself in spirit, lead your family in spirit, or you won't. Make up your mind. You men that are single, you're looking for a woman that's going to be the spiritual neck that turns the head. You think you can do that with just your mind? You're going to think about a good spiritual woman and go to church? Lord knows that church girls are the most dangerous, by the way, so be careful. <laughs> I'm not here to, to sell you a bill of goods. Um, 
My backstory includes a son. He's 20 now. It was a massive custody battle that I had for about 12 years, actually. Um, I got full custody within just a miraculous moment between eight months between me letting go of the custody battle where he would not go in front of the judge with his mom in the room to say he wants to live with me. He was protecting her. To fast forward, I, I have full custody without, without doing anything. It's possible. So all you single dads, press in. But I'm gonna tell you my measure of warfare and why each man needs to engage also your spiritual righteous indignation. Lay what's, your, what's on your heart and your story at Christ's feet and ask for war in return. For six years, from six to 12, my son was routinely molested and raped by an older stepbrother. The only reason why it stopped is because he outgrew his attacker. My son was the sweetest. My son was the kindest, the most gracious, but he was also the most forgetful. What I didn't realize is that there was so much mental trauma happening by him trying to manage the situation. He would intentionally wipe out his memory every single day. Something came up, a little thought came in, everything on his plate had to go. His mom let him fail from the fourth grade forward. He started to fail in the third grade. I don't even know how kids fail the third grade. But I get it. Hindsight, I get it. So I'd forgiven his mom. Shortly after I got full custody, we had a long conversation, a couple of them. I forgave mom, the stepdad, everyone involved. My son tells me when he's 18, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving 2020, he, he tells me, hey, I, I need to tell you something before I tell the group tonight. I was leading the Bible study group on addressing your grievances. And he says, um, you might want to sit down. I'm like, there's not a chance. He tells me. And I asked my questions, and over the course of 15 minutes, I didn't realize I had actually picked up the granite countertop. My fingers were bleeding. In my mind, I'd killed everyone. Everyone. They were dead. What I was reconciling was I was an on-again, off-again professional protector, still training, still had all my skill set, and I couldn't protect my son. That night, my son's story helped a 75-year-old county coroner reconcile that his daughter was raped when she was 13 and she was 56. He'd carried the weight of her rape for 50 years. That night, because my son's testimony, that man publicly told the group, and it was only about eight of us for the first time, and he cried like a child. All that pain let out, all of it. The very next morning, we were supposed to go walk around Independence Hall. I led the group. This time I stayed about 30 yards in front. Everything was poured out. Because the morning before, the Holy Spirit asked me, after I'd mentally killed everyone in my mind and replotted how I was going to kill everyone in my mind, he's like, hey, um, you forgave her, right? Pardon my language, God. I'm like, shit, yeah, I did. I did. And he's like, you forgave all of them, right? Yeah, I did. He's like, good, you know what to do. Why did God prepare me for 12 years of walking and praying and handing the enemy his ass in prayer? Why did he give me 12 years before that moment caught up with me? Why did he already show me the effectiveness of righteous indignation and spiritual warfare? It's for conversations like this. The following morning, I walked around Independence Hall. There's a guy named Dutch Sheets, who a couple of days, a couple of days later, 
comes out with his little Give Him 15 devotional. He talks about something called Project Valkyrie, and he said, the morning of Thanksgiving, I saw thousands of angels circling Independence Hall from 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. And the captain of the Lord's army said, perfect justice is being poured out this morning. And the commander's judgments are supreme. Everything I prayed that morning was poured out. Nothing was left. I was exhausted. I couldn't drink. I, like, I was depleted of everything. But the enemy suffered greatly, and another man in the spirit saw exactly was he got the after-action report based off what we were doing. That's not the only story I have about the effectiveness of spiritual warfare, righteous anger, hating evil, and how this all goes down. But every single man in this room is just as capable of wielding that heavenly sword of the Lord as much as I am. It's a choice. Rise to it. Praise God that you're here. Praise God that you're getting equipped. But the war is raging. The church has to take the lead. Because as all the institutions in this world are rising up against our God, who's God's chosen respondent? If we don't show up, the work doesn't get done. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. That was me speaking at Kingdom Men's Gathering, Frank Sontag, Godspeed Calvary Chapel, Thousand Oaks, Rob McCoy's church. You know, that morning I woke up, I had notes. I had no intention of talking about that story about my son, but what I didn't understand, but the Holy Spirit knew. There are several men, strong, capable, God-fearing men in that audience that had the same story. They come up to me afterwards. And while they're speaking to me, what hit me was that a lot of these men had not championed that part of their life. This is something that they have been dealing with, managing, hiding. But some of them have. And how many more parts of our story have we not championed? What's the reality? What if God's waiting for us to wake up to a reality where we champion our story in order to help others champion theirs? Let's say we were operating at scale where all Christians were championing their story, whatever that part of their story is, and we're helping others champion theirs at scale. And then we're helping the nation. And then we're helping nations. What if God's intention for us, because he doesn't cause these things to happen, is for us to walk with him, surrender these things to Christ's feet, and then go to war on our behalf, on others' behalf, on the nation's behalf. You see, spiritual warfare is happening regardless of whether or not we choose to acknowledge it or engage in it. But all of us have a story. All of us have an angle. It's up to us as to what we do with it. But if we're doing nothing, the enemy has us cornered. If we're not speaking up, the enemy has us cornered. If we're somehow not responding at scale and interceding on others' behalf, the enemy has us cornered. Not today. In the name of Jesus, rise. Champion your story and help others champion theirs. Intercede. Let the oppressed go free. God bless and Godspeed.